DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. DJ PK and Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, join us now. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, every week you come on, and there's no games. You wonder what we're going to talk about. But you continue to amaze us, reaching deep into your bag of stories, and you pull out another thriller every week. I am dying to know what it's going to be. And right now, you probably don't even know what it's going to be, but I know it's out there, Steve. (laughs) There is some truth to that. I don't know that I've ever been on a television or radio show where I have no idea what we're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking, uh, go ahead, PK. I think DJ, we got to stop calling him our basketball insider and just call him our life insider. I agree with that. I think that's actually the reason the segment works. It's because the story, the stories aren't all about, well, with three minutes left, we called a timeout and I drew up a play. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Go ahead. There's a lot of different stories out there. I'm just curious now, and as a college coach, Kyle Whittingham said this, and when he said it, I thought, yeah, it's probably true, but that, and now the closer we get to the more I think, nope, Kyle had it. He had it dialed in. He said at the start of the whole coronavirus thing, he says, I think we're all going to look at the NFL, because if the NFL can't go, I don't see how college can. They've got more money, and they got fewer players. If they can't pull it off, I don't see how we're going to pull it off with less money and more players. And if we can't pull it off, how can high school football pull it off? And so I thought, oh, there's some truth to it. But the closer we get, the more I think, oh, he is really spot on. Now let's change that to basketball and let's go back a few years and pretend you're still coaching, Steve, instead of, you know, enjoying the grandkids and golfing and watching everyone else deal with the stress. Because uh, you got a good thing going, Steve. You got a very good thing going. Uh, but if you were coaching now and you're watching what the pros are going through, and I keep hearing this, and we talked with uh, Dr. David Petron's come on a couple times, and you know he's at the University of Utah and he's hip deep in all the medical stuff, a real bridge between the medical community and the sports community there. And and I ran this by him too. It's the Bucks and the Kings yesterday. The Bucks and the Kings on Sunday closed down their practice facilities because of positive tests. The Nuggets, the Heat, the Clippers, and the Nets have done it. And my point to Dr. Petron was, are people safer in their home market, or are they safer going to a bubble in Orlando? There are certainly risks in Orlando. There's no question. Uh, How big a risk, I don't know that we can really assess. But there are clearly risks staying in Denver, staying in Miami, staying in Brooklyn, staying in L.A., staying in Sacramento, and staying in Milwaukee. So you're weighing the risk. Now, it's a little different with college kids because they're not making millions of dollars. In some cases, they might be 17 and be minors. So bringing a kid onto a college campus is risky, but leaving that kid in their community, a kid who, depending on the story, you know, maybe they're living in an apartment with seven or nine or 11 people or whatever. And if one person gets it, how are you going to socially distance you know, that, that's a real risk. How would you be feeling as a college coach now going on with the season and bringing kids on campus, knowing kids are coming from so many different places, some which may be hotspots, some not. Some kids are living in 4,000 square feet with four people. Some are living with eight people and, you know, 1,500 square feet. What would you be thinking right now as a college coach? 
Well, I think, I think first of all, uh, it, the whole thing would make you nervous. Uh, you know, I think the good, the good thing is that uh, a lot of the universities have plans in place, and, and we read about them, heard about them, and, you know, the idea that you come in and get your individual work, you have your own basketball, and when you're done with your own basketball, it gets completely wiped down, and, you know, you go to another sector and you work on something else. Um, you know, we've never, we've never seen the game look like this before. Uh, but I just tell you, as a coach, I think you do every possible thing you can do. And, and we'll, we'll address another issue is those that don't have the resources. But if you have the resources, especially right now where the dorms aren't really being used, there's a lot of housing where, you know, individuals can house by themselves. Uh, there's certainly plenty of space on campus right now for social spacing to eat and do those. I mean, those are all things that are controllable. And so... Yeah, it'd make you nervous, but I think there's also something there that really brings a group together. And it's, it's kind of us against the world, you know, us against the pandemic. And, and I, I think there's some solidarity that comes from this when guys get together under really, really difficult circumstances that is so public and so transparent out there around the world that I think it brings your team closer together. I mean, it's kind of you're, you're fighting a battle, you're being protective. Certainly you're nervous. I can't imagine a campus. You know, like you said, 17 and 18 year olds. What are, what are they doing? You're going to have to have control of their lives, and that makes you know. Right now, I, I hear all of the the narrative with the NBA is players even saying this about themselves. Hey, they don't have the discipline to do that in their life. There's no way that they can just stay in that bubble and not leave it and go get a bite to eat or go to a club or do those kinds of things. But I, I have a little more respect and admiration for the, for the NBA and for the coaches. Yes, there may be a few defectors that mess it up from themselves and maybe mess it up for a lot of people if bad things happen. But I, I believe as a college coach, you, you have an opportunity here to be as together as you have ever been. I mean, it, it's kind of like being on an island together. and we gotta, we got to hang in there for each other. And so immediately the culture of that organization, whether it was tight-knit or it was a group of guys all coming back from the year before, it, you're going to see more united teams. I suspect you'll see some mistakes. But I, to be honest with you, I think every coach, I mean, look, consider what coaches do around the world. Every year around during the late summer, early fall, uh, they're doing retreats. They're, they're doing experiences together. They're, maybe they're doing a Navy SEALs thing. Maybe they're doing uh, rope climbing. Maybe they're you know, doing the ropes courses. Whatever teams do to kind of pull them together, they don't have to do that this year because it's been done for them. It's called the COVID-19. It's the pandemic. And so a lot of the things that are happening, are, I think, are going to have a real positive impact on teams and coaches and unity and bringing them together. Where they've got to trust each other now because they're in a circumstance and environment they don't understand. And so they have to lean on and understand that uh, hey, we got to do this together, man. We we don't want anybody to get this, you know, COVID nineteen. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We got to stay together. We got to smart. We got to hang out for each other. You you might have some teams where you have two or three seniors that your player led guys that make sure guys are where they're supposed to be. Now everybody's helping everybody because there's just so many unknowns. I don't know if you saw that Morgan Scally the. Utah came out and 
I guess, the verdict or the results of the investigation. You know, he's a defensive coordinator on the football team, and he's going to stay. He uh, basically, he was going to be coaching waiting. They've rescinded that, and they've cut his pay from uh, like a million plus down to 500 plus and a couple other things. My thought for you, my questioning, is, you know, you're in that stressful situation when you're coaching these kids. And we've seen it a little bit with Oklahoma State and their football coach. He took a million-dollar pay cut. Uh, how do you think it's going to change the way coaches interact with players now? Uh, and it can get volatile, and you can get heated and say stuff and so forth. So I'm wondering is how much of a fundamental change is there going to be as, as coaches try to coach their players? Well, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change, and I and, I, and I'm not just talking about the racial slurs and those things. I mean, we just take the, the complete body of coaching player-coach relationships, and I think you guys watch it all the time at the high school and the college and the professional level. And young people today, there's a heightened sensitivity. You know, people, well, they're millennials, or they're you know they're this or that. But at the end of the day. There is a sensitivity to uh, being more uh, kind and and being more honest and giving more positive feedback and those kinds of things, which are all character traits of what all good coaches have. There's another side of coaching where you know you you're dealing with frustration, you're dealing with a lack of performance or a lack of execution, lack of effort, and all coaches have ways to get the attention of their teams. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I. When I got back from Indiana, um, I ended up going to a junior college. I went to watch uh, a junior college practice. In fact, the, the coach asked me to come watch and tell me what I thought about his team. And the last junior college team that I had at, at that school, uh, there was, I mean, we, I think we had nine Division I transfers. I mean, they're Division I guys that went on and played at the Division I level. So I had really, really good teams. And so I walked in there, and I looked around, and I saw – Mm, you know, I know I'm sure there was a Division One player in the program, uh, but maybe a Division Two, maybe NIA, but there, there wasn't a lot of great talent. But guys were giving a great effort, and this coach was someone that could really get kids to play hard. About midway through, the, through practice, he he started getting into kids and uh, and using inappropriate language, and uh, you know just just. Doing things that it just bothered me a little bit, you know. And I, and I I know when guys get upset and make a mistake and say something that they wish they hadn't. But when you use words as adjectives, adverbs, nouns, you know, there's certain words in our language you can use them, and they have context on almost everything. And uh, and I started watching, and and it kind of just made it kind of disgusted me because I thought this this is not how we're going to treat people. You know, and and they had won twelve or thirteen championships in a row. And he generally is is a, is a good person. I mean, he's got a good family, but this was a one little wart in his coaching career that I thought I'm going to need to say something. I, I can't sit here and watch this when it's done. So I sat down with him. And I told him, I said, "Listen, you know, this is you know, 2016, 2017, man. You you." I know there may have been a time back in the 40s and 50s where people just said what they wanted and, and no one ever knew about it. But this is a time where people come in here, you got the media, you got the TV. You, I, I, you know, in that day, there was nobody in. I think he had locked the doors, you know, and there wasn't anybody in there. But the language, and, and not so much the language, but the tone of it, it was personal. You know, you know what I mean? Where people personalize things. 
And I just told him, I just said, you know what? Listen, coach, I said, I love you. I love what you do. I said, but you personalized everything. And I said, it's one thing to, to use a swear word to get somebody's attention. It's another thing to use it several times and personalize it. That will destroy your team. It will destroy the morale of your team. I said, you can't do that stuff anymore. And he had been around coaches, old school coaches, that that's kind of how they did things. And, I, and I've had coaches like that. That That's not going to – first of all, it's, it's not the best way to coach. It's not the best way to motivate. But it was a way that was used a lot. And, 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 and I've never been in a setting where there were racial uh, situations uh, with comments. I, I've never been in that. I coached a, a lot of diverse teams, uh, not just African-Americans, but Hispanics and, and, and European players. Uh, so I've never really experienced that firsthand. But uh, it's certainly something that I never would have. But I, I, I think for a long time, coaches kind of lose their minds. For a long time, I'd, I'd go in and watch practices. When I was doing stuff for ESPNU, I'd go and always watch practices. And, uh, and I felt like about half the time it was demeaning, it was hurtful, and it didn't really – I mean, there's a difference between getting into a guy and getting an effort from him and yelling at him and, and, uh, rather than – Telling him that he's this or he's that, and you know, and and really, really using destructive language. So it's it's one of those things that you have to to really, really, really be appropriate about understanding that these are young people, and it's, I'm not saying for a minute you don't get after people and push them to their limit, and but I think there's ways you can do that in a positive way, and, I, and even with a, with a tone of voice that says I'm not happy, but never ever uh, with excessive swearing and really inappropriate swear words that uh, people would be, might be sensitive to, and, and certainly racial slurs, those kinds of things. There's no place for that anymore. And it's existed. We know it's existed. And there's just no place for it. I, I will say one other little quick thing. I remember my first year as a high school coach. And I was 23 years old. And I had a JV team. Uh, we were a brand-new high school. And uh, so... Uh, we only had ninth and tenth graders, so you know I didn't have real good players. And so, the, anybody that could shoot, walk, talk was on the, the varsity, and I had everybody else. And uh, and I had a lot of energy. I had just finished playing down at Irvine. I was excited, and uh, we had a day where a kid challenged me. And and this was a day I, it could have changed my life. I mean, he he said some really inappropriate things to me. Not having any idea what, what, you know, really understanding what this environment and circumstance looks like. And I, I lost my mind. <laughs> I mean, I took off after the kid. And I, we're in the middle of practice. I, and I'm, I take after this kid, and I am a full speed sprint. And I'm not even sure what I'm going to do when I get to him, but it's probably not going to be the right <laughs> thing. Because he, he had really, really embarrassed me in front of this team. And I ran him, and I caught him, and I probably got him in a corner. And I never touched him, though I wanted just to smack him in the head. I never touched him. I put my arms on the walls and just got right in his face and just told him, don't you ever, 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 ever say something like that, do something like that. And by that time, he's scared, you know, a little bit. But I thought to myself, what, what if I had done something really inappropriate? What if I pushed him and he fell down or hit him? Or, you know, because I was living I was livid that he would say something like that. And he was a 14, 15-year-old kid who didn't know any better. Uh, but I remember that being a time when uh, if I had done something, you know, I might have been selling insurance very quickly in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
So I, I know how it happens, but I, I, I understand, and I, I'm not saying people, you know, the language you use in a practice, that's, that's you, that's you. But at the end of the day, when it becomes real personal, uh, it can really destroy a team. See, I knew there'd be a story. No doubt in my mind. There it is. I knew you had it, Steve. <laughs> I just think that if you're coaching kids now at the high school, the college level, possibly, possibly at the pros too, when they're new to the team and new to the league, but until you have their trust and until you feel, and this is not how things were wired in the 70s or 80s or whatever decade, but now there is so much anxiety and so much stress in the average kid's life, even in the kids who are performing academically and athletically, they're carrying around a ton more anxiety and stress than we did when we were kids. I think until you have their trust and they want to perform for you, and it doesn't matter if it's sports or academics or the arts, uh, drama, music, whatever, until they think this person has my back, they're not really going to perform. And when you hold them accountable, it can't be so much yelling at them as the group is counting on you to do this. You got to do it for the group. And that is, if you go any harder than them at that, I think that's where we start to see 800 transfers. I don't, yeah. I don't think anything yeah. else works anymore. I, I completely agree. And, it, and, and the NC2A has made it so easy now. And, you know, I'm sure that this one time opportunity to transfer uh, is, is probably going to happen, you know. Um, and, and, and I don't know when, when it does. And you've really got to be sensitive to those things. You know, one of the things that I just looking from afar, and I'm not, I've not been to a practice. Uh, I've been to some informal workouts and things, but I, I know just I, the coach Pope at BYU has, has really made a huge thing about having the best locker room in the country. You know, whether that's true or not, it, it, it doesn't matter. That's that is what they've established, and that is that is something that that's the brand of that that program. And I, I thought, you know, that's a really really good thing. I mean, what, what a great thing to wrap your arms around. And again, I'm not really, I've been to maybe 20 or 30 minutes of watching practices before games and stuff, so I haven't seen them practice a lot. But I, I thought that idea of having the best locker room in the country, you know, everybody's got slogans and different things, but in this day and age, you know, what does that look like? Well, that, that probably looks like coaches that care, care about kids, that, that players getting along. And not being selfish, and it's a it's a united you know it, it it brings on a life of its own, and so what does a team look like that has you know has a great locker room, uh, you know in that kind of player led type teams, those are the kinds of things that resonate with parents today, with players today, where it's with just what you just said, where I know there's going to be some trust, I know people are going to have my back, I know that if things don't go well, they won't give up on me. I know I'm gonna, they're going to help me get better. Get to the, you know, when we were coaching, you'd recruit a kid and it was like, we're going to help you get to the next level, right? And when, I, when I was a high school coach, I said, I'm going to get you to the next level. You know, you're, you're trying to sell your program to the community, get people to move in, transfer, whatever. Junior college, you know, the, the whole theme. Junior college was so much fun because every kid was there. They had the same you know, goal. I want, I want to play at the next level. And so you're doing things to play at the next level. And now, now, you know, you get in a situation where you establish a culture that says, we want everybody in America to come to our place. You know, and so you can do that with so many different platforms and social media that reaches so many more people than we used to. I mean, nobody outside of 
Fresno would have any idea what the Fresno City College program was about unless you were had a son uh, in, in playing at that level or you were a coach. I mean, we, we had limited access to the world there. Well, today, that's not the case. And so if I'm coaching today, those are the things, Dave, that, David, that you just talked about, that I want everyone to know that that's who we are, that's how we go about doing our business, and uh, this is about the players. This is a players' team. It's a player-led team. We got a great locker room. You, you know, you, everybody talks about their facilities and all those things. But I think in this day and age, having a good locker, locker room is really important to players uh, and especially parents. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for the stories and the perspective. Our Thank life, our life insider, <laughs> Steve Cleveland, joining us. We. Hey, I appreciate it. We got lots of stories, man. And uh, you know, the thing about this is, uh, as I think back, just in in, the, in my, all of my experiences, uh, they don't always come to you, but they do come back to you. I, that's one thing. I just be doing things, photo pop up. So, thank you for allowing me to kind of go back into my life and uh, remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. See ya.